hence my warning in advance. Uh, we've been working our way through the book of Psalms uh, over the last few years, and um, in the summer I tend to pick up and, and do a handful of them uh, to kind of try and fulfill my lifelong goal, or actually my current life goal, it's not really a lifelong goal, um, of uh, preaching the entire book of Psalms before I retire. Uh, so you guys are stuck with me for quite a while at this point because we're on Psalm 22. Um, before I jump into it, actually, I was trying to, this is a difficult text to, to, to approach, um, and I, I was looking for illustrations and stories and trying to reflect and come up with something clever to say, and, and uh, actually, I, I read, a, uh, read a, a thing this morning about a, uh, a kid who was sitting in the dugout at a, at a little, little league baseball game, and this man walks by and stops and taps the kid on the shoulder and says, hey, you know, uh, what's the score right now? And he says, well, they got 22 and we got nothing. And the guy says, oh, wow, you must be pretty discouraged. And he's like, why would I be discouraged? We haven't even gotten to bat yet. Um, <laughs> Psalm 22 is potentially the most discouraging of the Psalms. <laughs> It is uh, it is uh, heartbreak in a in a text. It is it is uh, worry through and through. It is uh, hopelessness um, just boiled down. And and as we work through it today, um, we're going to talk about uh, situations that can seem hopeless. We're going to talk about um, things that that feel out of control, like you can't quite get your hands around them, no matter what you do. And, and at the same time, we're going we're gonna to talk about the promises contained therein, like the, the, hey, we might be down, we might be losing, um, but we haven't gotten to bat yet. And more specifically, uh, our God hasn't gotten to bat yet. Um, or, or, well, we'll get there. Um, and so as we dive into this, a little background. Um, the Psalms are an unusual uh, collection of texts for this reason. Um, they are the place where we hear the human crying out and 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 um, heartfelt anguish and joy and and worry and the dark night of the soul, which is sort of this time when God seems to not be anywhere, and and we hear that voice paired up with um, God's voice, and and you get a whole lot of both, and they're a unique genre because of that, and. And because of that, we can relate to them in a unique way. Like we can, we can find ourselves in the Psalms. We can hear our own voices, but at the same time, we can hear God's voice. Um, there's a spot, and I quote this passage a lot, but I, I do it because I, I think it's a, a huge one, where uh, Job turns to God in his anguish, and he says, God, do you have eyes like men? Do you see the way that men do? Can you understand what I'm going through? And, and Psalm 22 is, is um, one of the biggest answers to that. Um, it's when God, like it's a reflection of the cross. It's a reflection of when God had eyes like men and experienced suffering um, the way we experience it. And so as we kind of dive into this, um, understand that there's a whole literary genre that's uh, unique in this particular text, um, or in this particular book, and, and especially in this text, um, um, the, the book of Psalms is organized in an unusual way, like the, the Psalms are intentionally grouped together. 
um, to fit themes and to tell stories. And, and there's a narrative that sort of runs through the whole book. And so as we work our way through this particular psalm, um, understand this is um, the conclusion, actually not quite the conclusion, it is um, in a progression of psalms that, that tell a story. And the preceding two are about how um, God rescues his people. You all with me? Like the 20 um, is specifically about how um, God's people in their, um, in their worry, in their fear, in their, in their, um, um, you know, the, their, their concern are calling out to God to save their king, probably David. Um, and they're calling out to God to like reach in and intervene in this huge and amazing way. And like um, there's hope in it. It's all about how God will come and fight their battle for them. And Psalm 21 is the same, where, where it is a song about God delivering his people and fighting on behalf of his people and defeating the enemy on behalf of his people. God doing the fighting for us. Um, and, and so you have this, this really hopeful God save our king, this, um, you know, God save me. It's the king writing and speaking. You know, God come and save me. God rescue me from this danger. Um, God, God fight on my behalf. And then we get to Psalm 22, which is the downer. Um, but in the progression, well, we'll get to it. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll swing back around. Don't worry. Um, Psalm 22 is kind of a, a capstone. And then Psalm 23, everybody knows that one, um, is, is sort of the relief on the other side. And so we'll get there. Um, and so, like, uh, there is some prophetic elements to this. And there's some original context that's going to play in. Um, and it's really tempting to preach this psalm and ignore the context or ignore the prophecy that's there. Um, but we're going to try and do both. And so understand, I'm going to try and stand on both sides of the fence here. Everybody with me? And I'm going to do my best. Um, so uh, we're going to dive right in. This is Psalm 22. Um, and I, I don't always do this. I'm including zero for you. Um, all of the psalms have a title attached to them. And generally, in commentaries and in other settings, they're considered to be verse zero in the psalm. I don't know why. I, it's just a weird thing that, that has happened. I think it's because versification was never attached to the, ti- the titles and the, the, um, the, the, the prescription um, in these texts. Um, but the prescription is, For the director of music, to the tune of the Doe of the Morning, a psalm of David. So now, probably the case that David wrote this, um, but it was set to a tune that everybody knew, right? Um, it's like a, it's like Amazing Grace. We all know the song Amazing Grace, right? And so if we say, well, this is set to the tune of Amazing Grace, or when Roberta is here uh, doing worship, sometimes she leads us in uh, Amazing Grace, but it's set to the song, uh, the tune, The House of the Rising Sun. And if you listen to it, you know what it is, right? And actually, if you jump back a few hundred years, um, people who would hear Amazing Grace um, would hear the words set to a popular drinking song of the era, um, which did happen occasionally. Uh, And so uh, um, this is set to a particular tune. I'm just touching on it because I think it's interesting. And particularly the Doe of the Morning, as I've looked at this, I don't know, it sounds like a very hopeful and peaceful kind of tune, doesn't it? I mean, like you hear that, you don't think, I mean, well, Montanans, maybe you think, Doe of the Morning, hey, I'm going to shoot that. But like (laughs) outside of that context, we tend to think of Doe of the Morning as like a peaceful thing, like 
quiet and, you know, the, the doe out there eating or whatever, or dealing with its baby or, um, you know, what have you. But it tends to be a more peaceful and more. And so, like, given the nature of the psalm, that's a, that's a powerful testimony, right? That, that this was probably originally sung in a very peaceful way or a very slow way, which makes sense because it's kind of a sad song. Um, so verse 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, we all know this one, right? This is uh, quoted in all of the Gospels in association with Christ, right? And actually, this psalm is quoted some 28 times, if I remember correctly, in the New Testament. Um, it's one of, the, one of the more quoted psalms. And a chunk of these are in relation to the cross um, because there's a prophetic element to this where um, this psalm sort of reflects um, or it's a forward echo of Christ's suffering on the cross. Um, it, it is the story of Jesus on the cross crying out in agony, like bearing the weight of our, like, like our, our sins on his back and being punished by God in our place. Um, and so as Christ quoted this text, he was quoting it because, um, actually, I think the text is quoting him which is weird considering that it was written like a thousand years beforehand. Um, why have you forsaken me? This is also in the um, perfect tense, which means that it is a completed event. It is not why do you continue to forsake me. It is not why will you forsake me. It is why have you forsaken me as an event that has happened. God has abandoned him. Um, and so he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Um, now, in the original text, um, a lot of times this is uh, smoothed out because um, this is Hebrew poetry, and like Hebrew poetry makes sense in Hebrew. Um, <laughs> so what sometimes happens in English translations is they will add a couple of words to make it fit as an English sentence because otherwise it wouldn't be an English sentence. Um, and in the original text it is, um, why have you forsaken me um, so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? And each clause is a repetition of this idea. And so most texts, like the NIV in particular, tosses in the why are you, why are you um, twice, because that's the impl implied um, poetic idea. Um, and so why are you so far from saving me? Why are you so far from my cries of anguish? Um, where are you, God? Where are you? Um, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Um, and so the psalmist says, listen, I'm crying out constantly. I'm crying out to you and you're not answering. I'm crying out to you and I find no peace. Um, as we progress into the psalm, part of what we're going to come across is this is a really foreign idea to this guy, right? Like as David writes this, this is very foreign to his understanding of how God is. It's very foreign to his understanding of how God responds. Um, I, it kind of reminds me, Titus, when he was, oh golly, he must have been three um, or four. He stood up because he hears me talking about him. We were in that little playground across from the school. Uh, the elementary school, and he was trying to climb up the jungle gym. And he got to this point where he was, he was hanging 
um, from like this ledge, and he started yelling, Dad, 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 because he was expecting to fall off. And he's kicking his little feet, and I came up, and I stood behind him, and I waited, and I watched. And he couldn't see me, but he was hanging there, and he's struggling, and I watched him struggle his whole way up and pull himself up onto the ledge. And, um, and I was really proud of him, um, which I still am today, but for lots of other reasons, not just jungle gym stuff. Um, but he assumed I had not come, right? He assumed I, had not res- I wasn't there to rescue him. He assumed that I wasn't. And, and in reality, I was there all along. You can't, you know, he, he can't escape from me. I am inevitable. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a heavy psalm. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I was there. I was watching. But his assumption at the moment, all he could see was what was in front of him. All he could see was the danger. And all he assumed was, Dad, why aren't you rescuing me? And the whole time I was there, I didn't abandon him. I made a decision to let him try, right? Um, and I'm not applying that to the text, but I'm saying, listen, God doesn't abandon us. Like, it might feel like we are abandoned. Anybody ever feel that way? Anybody ever feel like God is, you know, God, where are you? I'm going to tell you, I've spent way too much time reading the news this weekend, Anybody, or this week and weekend. Anybody else done this? Um, watch buildings burn, watch the video of the guy with the knee on his neck and all that other stuff, like all of that stuff. And you look at the world and you say, all of this is out of control. Where are you? Right? I, I read a, um, a thing from an atheist ex-pastor guy who was saying, um, you know, look at this situation. All God has to do is something. Where is he? Um, and that's a hard, hard, hard response, isn't it? And that pastor, he lost hope that God was there. And he lost hope and lost assurance that God would act. And it is easy to be in that spot. It is easy to look at the garbage that's happening around us, the 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 division and, and the racism and the the violence and the... The, the fact that, like, it's, it's all so broken, it's easy to look at and think, where are you, God? Where are you? Um, in the original context, and all the way up until Christ showed up, um, this psalm became almost like the national mourning anthem of Israel. These guys would sing this song and come back to it and quote it and, and recite it at every opportunity because, like, Israel went through some really nasty stuff. Um, they, they were brought away into slavery in Babylon. Um, they were persecuted there. Their, their temple was destroyed. Their, their cities burned down. Um, and, and people would ask, where is God? You know, why aren't you delivering us? Those of us who've been studying Daniel for the last few weeks, one of the recurring themes of Daniel is, because um, it's after like they've gone into exile, the recurring theme of Daniel is, God's in control. Like, he, he controls who's in charge. He controls the nations. He controls the kings. He controls our lives. He doesn't abandon us. God is in control. And things aren't left to chance because people were forgetting that. They were saying, well, can our God do anything? Can our God speak? Can our God act? And it's easy to fall into that place, that place of hopelessness. And for those of you guys who struggle with that, who are dealing with illness or, or depression or financial trouble, 
or um, like a long history of being mistreated or the world just being broken around you or stuff inside of you being broken or struggles with your own sin and your own like 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 inclination to fall into um, um, rebellion or or whatever it is like for those of you in that place um, understand that even Christ called this out right and he called it out as he was fixing it which is crazy isn't it yet you were enthroned as the holy one you are the one Israel plays praises in you our ancestors put their trust they trusted you and you delivered them to you they cried out and were saved in you they trusted and were not put to shame now what the psalmist is doing here is he's pointing back into history and saying god you did this before i know who you are i know this is different i know this is not how you act you ever get that where you're talking to someone and they're acting different than what you expect and you say hey this isn't you what are you doing where is this coming from um this isn't like you what's wrong and that's what the psalmist is doing. God, this isn't you. I know you. This isn't you. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Um, that phrase, I am a worm, not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. Like there's this um, idea I, I read about where people reach this point where they, they become so abused and so broken that they don't even, they think of themselves as less, right? Um, they think of themselves as like, I'm, I'm barely even worthy. Like I'm such a, such a, you know, I'm garbage at this point. Like this is where they're at. And, and it's easy to find that place where you just... You know, I am worthless. I am nothing. And in reality, we're all people that Christ died for. Like, you, you can't fall into that place where you say, oh, well, I am worthless. Um, because you are worthy of the blood of Christ. You're worthy of the cross. You're worthy of God stepping into our world and going through this on your behalf. Right? Like, the king is saying all this stuff like, I mean, he's the king. He's David. He is, like, the man. And he's saying, I'm... You know, I'm despised and hated by everyone. I'm, I'm so worthless. Um, and Christ went through this. Because in a very real way, this reflects the cross. Um, all who see me mock me. Um, you know, Christ was spit on and mocked. They hurl insults. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Um, as Christ was hanging on the cross and he's hanging there and he calls out this, that my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did it in Hebrew. Eloi, Eloi, lami sabachthani, which again, John's not, well, John's not in the room to catch how bad my Hebrew is. Um, <laughs> um, but the, the chief priests are like, oh, he's calling on Elijah to save him, but Elijah's not going to save him, you know, and, and they're literally doing this. And actually as he's hanging there, um, People say, oh, he saved others, but he can't save himself. You know, why don't you bring it? And he, he is saving others by not saving himself. Um, but this is a reflection of what Christ did. Like Christ um, was mocked, let the Lord rescue him, but he won't. He calls out to Elijah, but Elijah won't save him. 
Um, Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Um, What in the world is more dependent than a newborn baby? Um, Rebecca, I think, left the room, so I can't point her out and say, um, little Erica that you're carrying around right now. (laughs) Ellie? Elsie. I'm sorry, I'm really bad at names, so I'm just going to rename everybody's kids. Um, (laughs) Little Elsie, you know, she wakes up in the middle of the night and starts screaming because she is hungry. And she knows if she cries out, what's mom going to do? Be right there, right? Um, this is a thing. Babies grow to know that mom is going to take care of it. I hurt myself. Who's going to fix it? Mom. I'm in uh, Jessica. Yes. Uh, mom is going to save it. Mom is going to make it better. Um, and the psalmist is saying, listen, I know you are this way, God. I know that if I'm hurt, I know that if I'm broken, I know that if I'm suffering, I know that if I'm hungry or empty or hopeless, all I have to do is call out to you and you'll be right there. All I have to do is is raise my voice and you'll rescue me. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. And this is exactly what he's saying. Listen, God, I trust you. I trust you like a baby. Trust mama. Save me. Don't stay so far away. Don't abandon me. Don't forsake me. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Um, Bashan is to the north and it's actually um, cattle country. Right, like it is the Montana of um, of Israel. It's the area where the best cattle come from. Right, like the the most you know all this lush green land, and it's green here sometimes. Bo- both of those days, that's what he's referring to. Um, <laughs> um, but the, the the this like the bull from Bashan would be like a really well fed and large and strong bull, right? would be a, a big, powerful animal. And so he says, there's many bulls around me, strong bulls from Bashan encircle me, um, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their wi- mouths wide against me. Um, the image here is uh, like that um, a lion in the middle of, of, of you know, feasting, tearing another animal apart, roars out against him, um, which I... I don't know if you've ever watched nature videos of lions, like as they're gorging themselves, like in the blood and the gore, and how and they're they're terrifying, right? And he said, "Listen, these these big strong animals are against me. These lions, these ferocious lions, are crying out against me, and I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. Meaning, like, I my life is dissolving. I am coming apart. I am." I am failing. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. The heart turning to wax is maybe like a reference to bravery, like my courage is failing and disintegrating. I don't know if you've ever um, been in a situation where you thought you were going to be able to do something and you felt pretty big and bad about it, and then all of a sudden, like, the reality of it happened, and you thought, oh, wow, this might have been a mistake. Um, this, the, you know, my, my, my heart is melting within me. Um, my mouth is dried up like a pot shared. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Here's another point, by the way, where there's likely a, um, a parallel to Christ. Um, 
my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Like he, the, the I thirst thing, this is oftentimes parallel between the two. Um, and he lay me in the dust of death. Of course, then after the cross, he's laid in the, in the tomb. Um, dogs surround me. So we have bulls, lions, dogs. Um, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Um, this is the, uh, um, this is just one of those obvious ones, right? Like, like the hands and feet of Christ are pierced. Um, dogs attack and they, and they pierce him uh, as Christ was, was, um, surrounded and, and pierced for our transgressions. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. All my bones are on display is like if you're starving and your bones are, you know, like you're, you've reached this point where you're so um, emptied out that you're cl- like, like your bones literally, you know, are showing. Um, people stare and gloat over me. They've gathered around to, to, to glory in my defeat. Um, they divide my clothes among them. They cast lots for my garment. Um, and, of course, this is one of those things that's mentioned in the crucifixion narratives, right? Whereas Christ hung on the cross, the Roman soldiers, like they took his clothing because it was a very valuable piece of clothing, and they gambled over who would take it. Um, and, and this is, again, like as powerful as this text is, um, as much as there's something to relate to it in, like this is also something that points to Christ, right? And so the king writes this saying, listen, I'm, I'm – failing. I am dying here. God, where are you? Um, and in response, like Christ says, hey, I'm doing this too. God goes through this with us, goes through this in advance of us. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. Now, this is the hinge point in the text. Um, we'll, we'll get there. All right. Um, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly, help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the dogs. Rescue me from the mouths of lions and save me from the horns of wild oxen. So the hinge point here is where he begins to call on God. And the assumption is, as David is doing this, he's written this first half, and the first half reflects this hopelessness. And then probably in the second half, in a worship context, like literally gathered to worship with the people at the temple, praising God and singing about God or or what have you, like um, he's given word that he will be delivered. Um, In the context of um, us and of the cross, like as Christ is hanging, like we know that there is, um, as dark as Friday is, there's always Sunday. It's always coming, right? For us, we know that when we suffer, we know that when we hurt, we know that we have this promise that God will rescue us. And part of what the poem does um, if you look at this, deliver, deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of dogs, the mouth of lions, and the horns of oxen. is a repetition, but it's in the opposite order, um, which is sort of the poetic element. And like the idea is God is going to undo this, right? And he undoes it in Christ with the resurrection. He undoes it in us with the deliverance we receive through the blood of Christ like the renewal that we have, the hope that we have, um, that as broken as the world is, um, God will set it right, that there will be an eternity in which everything is set right, that the redemption has happened. Um, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. I will declare your name to my people, by the way, is, um, of course, it's uh, um, David speaking, so like he's uh, talking to my people, um, but 
declare your name is a euphemism for worship. And so actually this is worship, worship. So I will worship you to my people. And in the assembly, I will worship you. Um, because for whatever reason, and like the assumption is from the outside, hey, in a worship setting, he was given this good news that God would deliver him, that he would be saved. Um, for us, as dark as it is, as miserable as it is, as violent as the world is out there, as, as much as our bodies feel like they're crumbling, um, as much as those who are around us suffer, as much as, as the world looks dark, we know that the cross brings a light that nothing else can. And so we can praise God in the midst of all of this. And I know this is a long psalm, but I don't want to skip over this. Like, I want to do this right, because there's so much amazing stuff here. As hopeless as it all can seem uh, when we're suffering, as, 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 as miserable as it seems when you see injustice, and you see people acting wicked, and you see um, homes burned on TV and all kinds of other nonsense, like as awful as it all is, we praise God because we know that he hasn't abandoned us. And even though he feels far away, we know he's there. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. Meaning, worship God. He has delivered you. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted ones. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Now, what's going on here is that there's a contrast. What he's saying is, it seems like God isn't answering. It seems like God isn't doing away with the brokenness in the world. It seems like God isn't saving his people. It seems like God isn't rescuing. It seems like God is, is silent. But in reality, he's not. We just don't see it. We're hanging there saying, God, where are you? And in reality, he's standing right behind me. Buildings burn and riots happen. People are abused by authority. Um, the world around us is crumbling like, like under a virus and economic danger and all this other stuff. And we say, God, where are you? And God says, I haven't gotten up to bat yet, buddy. In reality, he has. He went up to bat at the cross. Like, he's already won the game. Like, we're already saved. This world is already redeemed, but it hasn't quite gotten there yet. All right? That's Paul's tension. Already, but not yet. Um, he has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Um, part of what we know is here is with every tear that we shed as his people, God hears it and mourns with us. God cries with us. On the cross, he carried the weight of all of that. Like we have a priest that can relate to the suffering and to the temptation and the difficulty and the doubt and everything. Like, like he is a God who has experienced it. He has eyes like a man and has known what it was to suffer. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. Now, this is sort of a forward-looking thing. This is saying, listen, in the end, when it all is boiled down, when everything is completed, when God is like, like, turned the last page and the trumpets have been blown and the horsemen have been sent out and everything is coming to a very end, um, the poor will be fed 
and they'll eat and they'll be satisfied. Um, every time I read that line, it makes me think of the, uh, the Beatitudes, right? Um, blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Um, like, I think part of what is happening here is this is a forward pointing to the end when God will set the world right. In the end, when, when God will deliver, when it will realize, oh my gosh, you were behind me the whole time. Oh my gosh, your hand was in this. You, you were working, you were preparing, you were moving the plan forward. God has not abandoned us. Um, those who seek the Lord will praise him. May our hearts live forever, meaning we will continue to worship and we will be in eternity with him. We will worship him forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the family of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. Um, which I think I mentioned er- earlier from Daniel is the, the major theme. Like, And it's one of these major themes that runs through um, Jewish history is that God is in control. He sets rulers. He sets um, kings. He, he is, he's got his hand on it. He hasn't abandoned us. Um, as hopeless as you feel this morning, as hopeless as you feel in your lowest point, as hopeless as, as you might feel turning the news on or, or, or looking at your loved one who's fallen away or, or is being crushed by illness or whatever, um, like as low as it feels when you are imprisoned by your own sin, um, God will deliver it. Um, the ends of the earth, by the way, families of the nations will bow down before him. This is a prediction of not just the Jewish people, right? Like as he said, Jacob and all those other folks earlier. Now he's moved on to the whole earth. Like all people will gather and worship him. All people will be brought to a place where they, um, where they worship God together. Like this is, this is an end times. Everybody will be brought before God um, because he continues to be in charge. And the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot themselves or cannot keep themselves alive. Um, so the poor earlier and then the rich here is sort of like a, an encapsulation. It defines this little section of the text as a unit. And what's going on there is it's a unit pointing forward to the end when the rich and the poor alike will feast and worship. When um, everyone will go down to the dust, everyone who will, will have, have died temporally um, will come to a place of resurrection and the world will be set right. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. Meaning like all things coming up and, and all things that happen, like all blessing um, will be told about the Lord. All of it will serve him. All of it will point back to him, um, even despite the time of darkness. Um, they will pro- proclaim his righteousness, declaring it to a people yet unborn, which, by the way, is us, right? God's people yet born who hear of God's righteousness, who hear of his good works, who hear of Christ's work on the cross, like it'll be declared to him, um, for he has done it. What has he done? He saved his people. He saved you, he saved me, he saved, saved the wicked people out there who are, are you know, making the world broken. Like He saved those of us who will call on his name and turn to him. Um, as I finish up, I wanted to finish with something kind of unique today or different. Um, this is a psalm about Christ carrying our sins. And literally, it is a free gift he gives us. We don't have to earn it, we don't have to be good enough, we don't have to be 
um, holier than thou. We don't have to be the best guy in the room. Like, like the only thing I bring to my salvation is the sin that I need to be saved from. And Christ saves me. Um, the only thing I bring to the world, um, the only thing I bring to the, my relationship with God is my brokenness. And God saves me. Um, God doesn't abandon me. He, he sticks by me. Um, and as broken as the world seems, he doesn't walk away. As chaotic as it all seems, as scary as it all seems, as hopeless as it all seems, as, as miserable as it all seems, God is still there. Um, and I think the biggest thing we can get out of this psalm, we can look at this and say, this was Christ. But it's also me. Um, it's like our song. I have a handful of songs that Jess and I, um, you know, we hear it and it reminds us. You know what I mean? Like our song. Um, oh, remember when? You know, oh, remember when? Remember our wedding when, you know, this is the music that was playing. Um, remember when, you know, on this date this song came on. Like, like remember when? This is the psalm of remember when. It's the psalm of God does not abandon me. Um, God experiences what I've experienced. Um, I, I have a song we're going to play. Um, it's, a, it's a YouTube video because Rebecca refused to play it for me um, stubbornly. But um, <laughs> um, as I was praying about this text, as I was praying this morning about the world that we're living in and seeing right now, this, uh, this song, this is Rich Mullins. The song is Hold Me, Jesus. Um, um, it kept coming to mind, and I, I, my, my challenge for you today, in the midst of all of the chaos, in the midst of all the misery, in the midst of everything that's going on, the sickness, the, the loss, the, the chaos, everything, um, my challenge for you is to make this your prayer. Like the same Jesus that hung on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That same Jesus holds on to us. Even if we don't feel his arms around us, even if we don't feel him in the moment, he is holding on. Um, And so listen to the song. Make it your prayer today. Make it your prayer this week.